Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on HousingWire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about credit availability, where he is on Recession Watch, what the Fed gets wrong about housing, and more. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Great to have you on. We're now doing this twice a week with you, which is uh, super fun to keep up with all the things that are changing. And I just uh, published your latest, which is, will mortgage lending get tighter in the next recession? Which I think is a incredible topic. Tell us why you picked that topic. Well, over the weekend, there was a discussion and it's kind of uh, popping up on social media that... Uh, the non-bank lenders in America are all going to go bankrupt, just like some of the lenders did during the housing crash years, and that credit itself will actually deteriorate. Uh, uh, credit avail- availability will collapse like it did from 2005 to 2008, which means you know the data that we saw in the previous uh, expansion in terms of a mortgage demand, it would also collapse like it did from 2005 to 2008. It's not technically correct. Um, the entire housing market or the, the entire housing lending facility is so much different now. But I thought to address this, you actually have to show the kind of credit availability data. And awkwardly enough, it's also at 2008 levels today. So uh, the people that said, you know, well, Credit availability would crash until 2008. Levels. We're already here. Uh, we saw that index uh, for the Mortgage Banking Association go from uh, near uh, 900 uh, in that index all the way down to 100. And in the article, the charts really get to you get to really see this. We saw an unbelievable collapse in credit availability because the credit boom was facilitated by loans that do not exist. But that was back in, I mean, that's not now. You're talking about that 900 to 100 was what time frame? Yeah, that was, that was a two, 2004 move up to 2005 and six, and then it collapsed. We can't have that now. We don't, have it, we don't even have enough products in the system to even allow the credit availability index to rise back up. So uh, I thought this is a good time since everybody's talking about a recession, how different uh, uh, the entire lending uh, atmosphere is. And also, we can use the COVID-19 uh, uh, test run as an example. There was a report in January of 2020 talking about how the unregulated non-banks are going to be a threat to the United States of America. Well, when COVID happened, uh, I remember that Monday morning on March 9th, I tweeted out, oh, we're going to have a mortgage market meltdown. And people misunderstood my uh, tweet. They, I was talking about you know, early payoffs margin calls, stuff like that. And we did see a mortgage market kind of melt down, but nothing that would mean credit would be available. So the uh, mortgage availability index went from 185 down to 120. That's it. Unlike, uh, you know, where we saw the index was near 900 collapse all the way down to 100. So uh, after a few uh, weeks after the COVID-19 pause in activity, Lending came back again, and guess what? We had the most originations in recent modern-day history. Uh, people were buying homes, people were refinancing, 
everything's fine. And I think that's the perspective people need to, to know because there really isn't much of a story here because you can't really loosen credit in any big meaningful way. And you can't really get credit to deteriorate in any big meaningful way. If Freddie and Fannie were like publicly traded companies and their stocks were crashing and they, they would have to tighten up credit, that's a, that's a different conversation, but they're not publicly traded companies. So credit will be fine. Uh, again, credit will always tighten during a recession, but we just don't have that kind of exposure. Uh, so the credit availability index could collapse because we're pretty much near 2008 levels. And we have been near there for over 12 years. Even if Fannie and Freddie were publicly traded companies and they needed to do something like that, what would that look like? I mean, it's already pretty, you already have to have a pretty great credit score. You have to have debt to income ratio. You have to show like, what would that look like? Even if, if that was possible. I've thought about this, like what can they possibly do? They can, I mean, obviously they can raise FICO score, but traditionally all home buyers have really good FICO scores anyway. Uh, up, down payments, you know, that's something possibly, but there's really no products they can take off because pretty much most people get 30-year loan fixes where in the previous time, you know, when, when the housing bubble was crashing, you had 228s, option arm loans, stated all these products and guidelines were coming offline because those lenders were uh, going out of business. We don't have that in 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 in. I mean, the reality is most non-bank lenders are really loan processors for the government, right? And that's kind of how the simple way to look at it. Uh, qualified mortgages, QC, quality, quality uh, control departments that are making sure everything is, is qualified mortgage approved, and then you just basically sell or get insured by the government. So we made lending very boring, and that's a great thing. We don't want to spice up lending ever again. So the... Uh, you know, people will say, well, credit can't ever really ease and, you know, people can't get, no, millions of people who can buy homes can get homes every single year. It just has to be qualified. So there is no really like tight lending in the sense that we're not letting qualified home buyers uh, buy. This has been a big theme of my work in the previous expansion where I, I've always fought against the tight lending myth. I just said that, you know, in short, why, why don't low FICO score Americans buy homes? Well. Traditionally, low FICO score Americans have cash flow problems. They can't make their credit card payments. They don't have a lot of liquid asset reserves. You typically need those things to be a homeowner, so they're never coming back. Uh, and, and I and I mean this in the in the most honest way. That group of potential home buyers are never coming back in any kind of big scale, uh, especially now with home prices rising so much. So uh, this is a positive. This is not a negative. So don't expect lending to ever get really loose and don't expect lending to get very uh, tight from where we are in current levels. That's really interesting. So from your perspective, it's not that we need, you know, we have enough of replacement demand with the demographics of people coming into home buying age. Those are the people who we will be sorted out in the traditional way of like, yes, they're going to have enough um, money, income, credit score worthiness to, to be your traditional home buyer, or they're not. But it's not a matter of expanding credit to include people who've traditionally not been part of that group. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see how you can expand credit from a very kind of liberal credit standard already. Um, you, you've got to create exotic loan debt structures, which legally uh, you would get out of the QM department. 
Um, I know there's talk about a 40-year mortgage or something like that. We should never do a 40-year mortgage as a traditional lending. I would oppose that at every single day of my life. But um, in traditional sense, you know, it's it's not that difficult to be a home buyer if you could afford the payment. Uh, the concern always, again, in years 2020 to 2024, that home price growth accelerates beyond trend. Uh, it becomes a very big tug of war between having a good replacement buyer demographics versus affordability. And affordability is the bigger issue rather than uh, credit getting tighter in a meaningful way. Well, let's let's change topics just a little bit. And let's talk about um, what, you know, the Federal Reserve and maybe what they get wrong about housing, what they don't understand about home price. Let's talk about that a little bit. That's something that you and I talked about offline that I think is a very interesting topic. I love this topic. I will literally fight on this topic every single day until I die. I will take any human being on planet Earth any day, 24-7 on a live debate on this. And it really has to do, the Federal Reserve came with a paper talking about uh, you know, what really drove home prices during this. And their, their explanation is demand. We had a demand surge. Uh, it's really in relationship to housing construction, You know, uh, when you read the work. But for me personally, this has been so much of my concern during this period. And a lot of people just like to say, well, it's the Fed. Demand was booming because of low rates. There's a group of what I call anti-central bank people who just want to push that. They can't ever say inventory is low. They do it all the time for years. They won't admit it. So part of my work has been to... Um, show the scale of the inventory data. Because in the previous expansion, I was never one of these people that said, oh, you know, people said there's no homes to buy. There's plenty of homes to buy. You, you, you only see a problem with homes to buy when you get like vertical pricing or forced bidding. We really didn't have any of that from 2008 to 2019. But in years 2020 to 2024, there is a potential that inventory can break, total inventory data can break to all-time lows. And that would be problematic. And you, we saw total inventory, you know, we had a little bit of growth in 2014 and every year it's been slowly moving down and down and down. And then right kind of in the 2018, 2019 period, those were the pre, uh, like the four, four decade lows in total inventory that, that year. Still, it was a functioning market. But once 2020 came, inventory collapsed. And it's not because we have a massive credit boom or a sales boom. So how I address this with the public or people that try to debate me on this, during the housing bubble years, we had more inventory, more sales, and the growth rate and pricing was not as hot as what we have here. In 2020 to 2022, we have less sales, we have less inventory, but the pricing is much hotter. And why is that? Because Keep it simple. That's why I like to do those 40-year charts. Total inventory levels broke to all-time lows in 2020, and it got worse in 2021. And then early in 2022, it got to all-time lows again, and that became the savagely unhealthy housing market. And even right now, in July, we still see home price growth at double digits using the weekly data. Right. So we have demand falling. Right. And still we still have this uh, a pricing for not because demand is booming. It's literally we are not back 
to 1.52 million and 1.93 million, which is the 2019 level. Even though that's the four decade low, that's still enough to calm the markets down. That's why I always use that data. So, uh, you know, in the previous expansion, when rates rise, home price growth would cool down much faster. We don't, we haven't seen that, uh, uh, lately because, you know, in 2014, we saw, you know, 10% home price growth. As soon as rates got to 4% quarter to quarter, growth rate started to fall noticeably. We had almost two and a half million uh, total housing units uh, uh, back then at the peak of the uh, uh, 2014 data. We started at 870,000 this year. So the notion that demand is driving all these uh, price gains uh, isn't valid just by comparing the two periods of time in history where the housing bubble years actually had total inventory data growing but demand was so strong, mortgage credit was so strong, home sales were so strong, housing starts, everything was moving all together. Here, 2020 home sales, existing home sales was only 170,000 more than 2017 levels. So we don't have a, a credit boom or a sales boom. We have very good replacement buyers, definitely, for sure. Definitely demand is higher in 2020 and 2021. And uh, than what we saw in the previous, but nothing that would equate to a demand boom forcing prices. We just don't see that uh, in the data. So once we get back to 2019 levels of inventory, we're okay. It might be low historically, but that's enough to keep the market sane, right? And we see that. We see the inventory trying to get back there. We're not there yet, but the more inventory is better. It's it's a good thing. The less inventory is not a good thing. Price acceleration, vertical pricing is not a good uh, uh, aspect of the housing market. It is the reason why we are in a savagely unhealthy market, because we certainly do not have the booming credit uh, demand that we saw from 2002 to 2005. So what is that? Do you feel like the Fed just doesn't get? Well, I just don't think the Fed gets credit, credit demand. And, uh, it, you know, if you actually look in 2002 to 2005, the exotic loan debt structures were created for kind of a short-term lending facility. And then you can see, like all bubbles, you see facilitated credit boom out. Not here, right? We're not seeing any of that. In fact, purchase application data today is below 2008 levels, right? Because we never had a credit boom. We can't have a credit bust. Right. Mortgage demand does get impacted with rates rise. That's uh, that happened in 2013, 14. That happened in 2018, 19. But 2019 data, even though rates were falling, real home prices adjusted to inflation, the equivalence rep was briefly negative back then, you know, uh, because why inventory was much higher. So I encourage everybody to go look at the case shoulder index and you can see it that in 2018, real home prices were briefly negative, not for very long. Um, and here, you know, demand is actually falling and we're still trying to deal with double digit home price growth. Now, over time, higher rates work. This is why I've been part of team higher rates. And one of the reasons I'm more bullish on inventory than maybe other people is I don't believe this is a natural state for the United States of America to have inventory this low. And since we don't have a credit demand, higher rates will create more days on market, inventory will grow we'll get back to something uh, of a normal marketplace. That is a positive. That is not a negative. Uh, so my hope is that the economy, economic data stays firm enough where bond yields don't go down. I know bond yields have, have fallen recently and 
we could just get back to normal. So, but, you know, that whole um, higher rates creates more inventory is a chicken and egg thing. Because if you are a seller, you might be a seller for a lot of reasons. If you're a seller because you, you know, like in my case, you're moving back to family or you have a job change or something like that, that makes sense. But those higher rates are going to discourage you as a seller too, because why do you want to give up your cushiest low mortgage rate ever that you refinance to, to something that's now, you know, five and a half and, and who knows where that will be. So I get this question to me all the time. Why would people move? Guess what? Every year in the United States of America, there is a natural listing rate of people. And if you take the natural listing rate with weaker demand, we should get above 1.52 to 1. Or get in a range between 1.52 to 1.93 million. So if somebody has a very good low mortgage rate and their life's good, they're not going to move anyway, even if rates are back down to, let's say, 2%. They're living in their house. Housing tenure in the United States of America doubled uh, from 1985 to 2007. It was five to seven years. Now it's 11 to 13 years. People stay in their homes longer. But every year, people do list their homes. Right. So the days on market got to a teenager level. That is very dangerous. That means it's forced bidding. We need that to get back up and higher rates, just like in 2014, when it does, it pulls the market down. It allows inventory to grow here. We're working from all time lows in 2022. So it's not asking much as long as the traditional listing data happens. And when demand cools down, days on markets grow. And that's why I, you know, I, I talk about I, I'm actually. I'm bullish on this case that we could get uh, a 2019 inventory data next year. If rates stay high enough and things cool down enough and days on market grow, we could get there. What we can't happen is what we saw in 2006, uh, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, where we get an acceleration of inventory because of forced credit selling, right? Uh, the, the loan profiles in America look good. Uh, even in a job loss recession, traditionally homeowners are mostly employed all the time. So we're we're, we're in a much better uh, spot than what we saw, let's say, in 2005, 6, 7, 8, where people were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies before the job loss recession. We don't have any of that. But traditionally, there's listings every year. People have to move. Those people know that mortgage rates are at 5.5%. So they can obviously afford their home. If they're a primary resident uh, owner, they're looking to buy another property or to move. They're good. There are some people, though, that... You know, with the kind of the 20% home price growth that we've seen on a year over year basis and higher mortgage rates, they can't afford to move. That is a legitimate discussion. Uh, but still, we got to a very unnatural level of inventory in America. And since I don't believe in the credit boom housing premise at all, ever, um, we should get back to kind of the 2018, 2019 levels. Uh, and we don't, we're not there yet. You know, even if I take, you know, a city like Phoenix, which has very high uh, a percentage growth of inventory, they're not anywhere near 2019 levels uh, or 2018, 2019 levels. But working our way back up there, see, the, the places of the United States of America that get inventory back to those levels, I consider that to be the healthy market. That just gets us back to the four decade lows before COVID hit. That's a positive. Uh, so, uh, to kind of answer the question again, I, I understand what people say people won't move. Yeah, there are people don't move in general, no matter where rates are. But now, you know, the uh, uh, 
there are people that have to list their homes every every year, and we're just working our way back up there. And because demand is falling, uh, those homes don't get off the market quicker. That's a good thing. That's what everybody should be rooting for currently. Logan, let's pull back this discussion a little bit and look at the larger picture and talk about the recession. You have five of six recession red flags up right now. The last one is that leading economic indicators. You're still looking for some of that to, to happen. So tell us, you know, give it to us from your perspective. Are we in a recession right now? How, how quick might that happen? And, and what does that look like? You know, it's such an interesting economic uh, expansion recovery. And I think the uh, the NBER, which who labels the recessionary times in, in the U.S., kind of also said, you know, it's data is going to look really funky because production data is going to be looking negative, maybe, but the employment data. So for myself, knowing that uh, high velocity data is going to look really weird, uh, I've taken that into consideration with the recession red flag model. So uh, currently, no, we're not in a recession just because when you look at how recessions are defined, employment, uh, real incomes without transfer payments, industrial production, real estate, these things are all positive. You know, and it, we're, we're in July now. So that typically in a recession, you want to keep it as simple as possible. Economic data goes down. A lot of economic data goes down, right? It's not so much of GDP or inventory build out. You know, some of those things can be really wild coming off of a pandemic, especially with some of the shortages that we have in certain areas. However, um, having the five uh, recession red flags up already, the leading economic index, you could see it through maybe manufacturing orders, uh, through eventually retail sales cooling down, uh, housing permits cooling down. Those things typically all move together toward a recession. So I usually need to see at least four to six months of the leading economic index to to fade, and then we are on recession watch. Recession watch is just mean, okay, now we have legitimate historical data to back this up, where in the previous expansion, we never had any recessionary data. So it can, we can get into a recession maybe by the end of this year, or it might take another 12 months after that. There's, there's, a bit, there's been a historical a lag in some of the, uh, uh, the time when a recession happens. For example, in 2006, all my recession red flags were up toward the end of the year. Recession didn't start until, you know, kind of the late summer of 2008. So my job is to kind of incorporate whatever is left in that leading economic index and see right now before the data comes out. And we, I can see that some of the data lines are going to get weaker over the next uh, four to five months. So I'm very mindful of that. Again, the bond market the 10-year yield has made a little bit of a retracement or bonds have rallied. We've gone from 350 to 280. I think currently we're at 291. Uh, usually, bond yields will start to move a little bit more aggressively down. That means mortgage rates will come down. Now, mortgage rates, of course, in, in some sense, are already down actually 1% from the recent peak. These are things just for the housing uh, economy, things to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, the credit profiles of American households are are extremely uh, uh, good. So a job loss recession is not going to be, and I've always tried to stress this, it is not going to be what happened in 2008 because credit was getting worse from 2005, 6, 7, and 8, then the job loss recession. We don't have any of that now. But when a job loss recession comes, I always, uh, I'm starting to talk about this. We have to separate between a foreclosure process or kind of a forced credit payment uh, 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 selling owner. 
a forced credit payment selling order is somebody that has so much equity and they've lost their jobs. They can't make any of the payments, but they choose to sell the house uh, because they have so much equity. They're good. They don't have to be part of the foreclosure process. A foreclosure, on the other hand, could take nine months plus for that to uh, happen uh, because we don't have the marketplace of 2005 to 2008. Uh, that actually can be down the line uh, way out. So uh, that, that wouldn't really provide any quick velocity into inventory. That, that, that is a whole process. So when that occurs, we have to separate this because this is a, this is a historical change in the housing data uh, where in the previous, we had a leveraged credit boom. Then we had falling home prices. That's not the case. We still have prices rising. Uh, with so much equity. So it's a completely different marketplace. And again, just like all of the housing discussion, you can't go back to the 2005, 2008, or 2002. If you're doing that, you're still doing it wrong. Uh, every cycle is very unique. And, and, you know, the Federal Reserve just commented forbearance is down again, right? You know, the forbearance crash bros just whiffed one more time. None, none of that actually occurred. Why? Because people love living in their homes. They don't purposely sell their homes to be homeless or rent at a cost. They're very good households. They go to jobs. Their kids go to school. So a much different backdrop. But again, when recessions do happen, you start to put the credit risk into a little bit more of an overdrive. Not there yet, but mindful of it currently. Great insight. I, I do think, you know, if you're in the mortgage industry, there are a lot of job losses, right? I mean, <clears throat> volume is just down. It's going to be down for the rest of the year. Nothing that I can see is going to change that. That's what all the forecasts look like. And and that's because, you know, we, as you just said, you know, we're going to have inventory, but it's not going to even rise to above the, the lowest level of the last 40 years, probably. If it did, that would be great. Yeah. One of the things that's going to be different from now on um, and I've touched this uh, on before. When we look at you know the mortgage rates in the bond market from 1981, we've always had two percent plus lower mortgage rates from the lows of the previous expansion. For that to occur now, <laughs> that means mortgage rates have to go to a quarter or half a percent. Okay, so it's not going to happen. You could have a two percent move from the. Uh, um, lower from the peak that we recently had, if you want to use six and a half percent as the highs of the mortgage rates, we could get to four and a half percent even this year. But that's not the same as what happened uh, during 2020 to 2021, because the volumes of originations were so big because we had so many people refinance uh, while purchases were, were, were elevated from the previous cycle. So that volume of origination can't simply be replicated. But again, every recession that we've seen in recent history, rates go down. People that recently bought homes, that's an added supply to the refinance market when rates come low enough. So the the volatility in mortgage rates is really wild right now, uh, up and down. You know, So uh, it's something to think about because in the future, if the recessionary data starts to get really uh, noticeable, um, you, you'll start to see bond yields and mortgage rates go down. And really, where the ten-year yield is today, rates should be well below five percent. But you know, the pricing is, is is much different these days than there were in, in twenty eighteen. Do you feel like the the rest of the Fed rate hikes for this year have already been priced into the mortgage rates? I I, I believe we're starting to see the realization that the Fed was never going to hike as much as they thought they would, um, and 
you know, going out in the future, the way that changes is that the economy gets stronger. And this is this has been our main talking point really for this year. The tug of war between mortgage rates and the bond market really took off after the Russian invasion. Oil prices are actually got below what we saw in the Russian invasion right now. Wheat prices, some of the commodities uh, are starting to fall. Eventually, what happens is any kind of shortages becomes gluts, right? Uh, demand weakens, uh, supply capacity actually gets better. Uh, so it's, right now, we're starting to see the early days of not only the economic data, but the bond market kind of say, hey, listen, you're never going to get up there anyway. So part of what I think the Fed does is try to talk tough. Uh, um, but there's limits to what you can do. And I think I, I actually believe the bond market is correct. The bond market really never kind of fully believed that they were going to go through their full hikes. And as the economic data is getting weaker and weaker, there's going to be a point where they say, you know what, the risk is to the downside of the economy, not inflation. But again, you know, we're, we're not there yet for them to make that comment. But, you know, you can start to see the future uh, clouds opening it up to that reality that uh, uh, they weren't going to be able to hike as aggressive as they wanted to. So if I'm a loan officer sitting out there, what you are saying to me is that you don't think rates are going to pop back up again. The only way the only way to me rates really pop back up again, th- th- there is there is an analogy that we could use uh, in the kind of the late 70s, early 80s, when oil prices were exploding higher. The Federal Reserve was still hiking rates. The bond market and and um, uh, uh, mortgage rates were still rising higher, even even in in, in the recession. Um, it's not that type of uh, economy. Um, we have supply shortages, war. We're coming off a pandemic. It's not like what we saw in the late seventies. Of course, oil's input costs into the economy is is a big deal. Um, but to to reverse this, you would need the U.S. economy growth to to pick up to get strong. And I just fundamentally don't believe we are a fast growing, high wage inflation economy. Reverse this. What what is this in that in that context? Well, re- reverse the um, bond yield or uh, uh, falling down. Right, we got to three and a half percent. For us to go above three and a half percent to get to four and a half or five percent. Because really, in reality, where inflation is, the 10-year yield should be well north of 5%. Uh, it never even got close to getting there. So for us to reverse and go much higher in mortgage rates in the bond market, this means the economy is no longer in recession there, uh, recession watch. The economy is going to be very strong. Consumption is going to be strong. Wages are going to be strong. And inflation doesn't let up. Um, the only other thing that I can think of is that if the Federal Reserve, if let's say war really breaks out and we really have supply shortages on energy, does the Federal Reserve risk even putting the economy in a worse spot? Because there's really not, not much they can do about oil. Uh, the dollar is already super strong. Usually that takes care of it. So uh, I just don't see them making that mistake. Uh, and they've even admitted you know, rate hikes don't really impact the food prices or or energy. So they're, they've given clues that they're not going to do what they saw in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And again, the bond market is basically has spoken this uh, throughout this entire experience. We, we barely broke over the 2018 highs on the 10-year yield and we were traced back. So we'll see how it is. But again, if you're a higher mortgage rate, higher 
uh, uh, bond yield person, you really believe the U.S. economy is about to kick into another gear and there's no recessionary data whatsoever. Logan, I appreciate your insights on that. I know that, you know, we love having you on because you are looking at all this. I think I'm going to call you like the bond market whisperer or something like that. You're, you'll have to coin, coin your own uh, amazing phrase for what we can call you. You know, on, on uh, July 4th, I was going to call you Captain America because you're always like bullish on America, even if you're not bullish on the American economy. Sarah, I've always told person I am simply just a detective. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being the detective on the on these topics that we care about so much. So we will talk to you again in a couple of days. Um, thanks so much. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.